Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part three and the conclusion of his teaching, The Prosperity of God. All right, so today we're going to talk about the prosperity of God, part three. Amen. There's our core scripture up on the screen, Deuteronomy 8.18 in the New King James Version. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Amen. So remember, in all of these sessions, we're making this point of emphasis, that the ultimate purpose of the prosperity of God is to establish God's covenant in all the earth. If you don't lose sight of that, you'll never get out of balance in prosperity. Amen. Hallelujah. For this last session, I want to take some time to talk to you about the tithe. Just so everybody knows where we're coming from here at Faith Life Fellowship and what I believe and what I teach. So I want to start by reading a much used and many times misapplied passage of scripture from the writings of the prophet Malachi which just happens to be the very last book of the Old Testament, about 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. So let's read Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10 in the New King James Version. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Amen. How many want some of that? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I want you to see that this scripture contrasts the blessings that would come if you obeyed the law of Moses and the curse that would come if you robbed God by withholding your tithes and offerings. But I want to set your heart at ease by reminding you that New Testament believers, for New Testament believers, Jesus fulfilled the law in every respect, and he paid the price to free us from the curse of the law. Amen. We get all the blessings and none of the curses because of what he did, not what we did. Amen. Because of his performance, not our performance. Amen. So free your mind and heart right now. You are not under a curse if you happen to miss a tithe. If you're struggling to give 10% of all your increase and you don't quite make it, you're not under a curse because how can the devil curse those whom God has blessed? Amen. Amen. So... There are some in our camp of ministry that preach that if you miss a tithe or you don't tithe, then your fridge will stop fridging, your heat will stop heating, and things like that because the tithe has to be consumed. I happen to believe that that's an Old Testament mindset, and I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Now, having said that, Trish and I got the revelation of tithing uh, 37 years ago when we first got married. And we made the decision that tithing was just going to be something that we did to honor the Lord so that others might be blessed. Not out of compulsion. Not out of some law that said we had to. But out of a righteous, willing, and generous heart. 
And over those 37 years, there have probably been a few times, I could probably count them on my hands, when for whatever reason, we missed a tithe. But we never got under condemnation, and I promise you, the curse never came on us. Amen. Because like I said before, how can you curse whom God has blessed? Amen. Hallelujah. So that's not what I believe, and that's not what I think is going on here. This is strictly in the context of the law. Okay. This scripture contrasts the obedience of those uh, who do what the law says concerning giving, and it also ascribes curses to those who don't. But we're not under the law anymore. Jesus Christ has paid the price to free us from the law. Amen. Hallelujah. But I do want to just sort of spend a little bit of time on verse 10 so that you understand the basics of tithes and offerings. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Your storehouse is your local church where you get fed on a regular basis. It's okay to give to missionaries and TV preachers if you're so inclined to do so, if you feel led to do so, but that should be an offering over and above your tithes, which should go to the local church because that's your storehouse. That's where we use those resources so that we can bring you the word every Sunday, every opportunity that we get. Amen? All right, so let's continue to read here, and we're going to find out that Jesus fulfilled the law in every respect and paid the price to redeem us from the curse of the law, beginning with Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 in the New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking. I always pay close attention when, when the words are in red because I know it's Jesus speaking, amen? Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Amen. Amen. Jesus dotted every I and crossed every T in following the law every day of his life. Amen. Hallelujah. Galatians three thirteen and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. Again, I say, because of what Jesus did, we get all the blessings and none of the curses. Amen. All because of what he did, not what we did. All because of his performance, not our performance. Amen. Glory to God. Because Jesus fulfilled every point of the law and took the curse upon himself, we get all the blessings of obedience to the law and none of the curses of disobedience. Amen. Because how many know we miss it every once in a while? Amen. And just because you miss it doesn't mean curse comes on you. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are blessed and not cursed. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We put our faith in what he did and not what we did. Amen. We receive the blessings of God by faith because Jesus purchased them for us. Amen. It's so different from the law. It was so revolutionary that most of the religious crowd during Jesus' day, they just couldn't handle the transition. 
It was too different. Amen. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4.24 tells us that we have a new man on the inside that's created like God and true righteousness and holiness. We've talked about this before, but that's pretty hard to get your arms around, isn't it? Someone who lives on the inside of me is righteous and holy just like God. You say, Brother Scott, I don't feel like I'm holy and I don't feel like I'm righteous. Well, it has nothing to do with your feelings. On the inside, it is a spiritual reality if you are born again. Amen? Now you can come and approach your giving from a righteous perspective, from a heart that is willing and generous to give so that others might be blessed Give from the heart and not out of compulsion, not because it's written down in some law. Amen. There's a huge difference. Amen. Now when men give, they can give out of a heart of righteousness, out of a state of righteousness, and not out of compulsion, not because they have to. If we go back to Malachi chapter 3 and start from the beginning, we find out that God was speaking of that day in the preceding verses. The ones we read 8 through 10 are not really in context. So I'm going to try and provide some context for you. You need to read verses 1 through 7. We're not going to read all of them, but we'll read some of them so that you can see that God's heart has always been that men would come and bring tithes and offerings in righteousness, not by law, out of the heart. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 in the New King James Version. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is talking about John the Baptist. This is talking about the coming of Jesus. This is talking about something that's going to happen 400 years in the future. Amen. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. It's always been God's desire that men would come and bring offerings in righteousness out of a generous and willing heart, not out of compulsion, not because the law says you have to. Amen. Hallelujah. Here in these scriptures, Jesus is portrayed as the one who will come and purify the sons of Levi. They were the ones that were responsible for taking the offerings from the people and offering them up to God. So Malachi is prophesying of the day when God would purify the hearts of even the Levi's so they would be able to bring those offerings to God in righteousness, not according to the law. Amen? And indeed, because of what Jesus did, He would end up purifying all those who put their faith in the finished work of Christ. Amen? Did you know you have to be perfect to get into heaven? Did you know that? And the only way that you can be perfect is to be made perfect. 
Because you can't be perfect in your own righteousness. It has to be his righteousness and his perfection that has been conferred upon you. Amen. Everybody here knows this, but we need to realize this is a reality in our hearts. We are perfect. Jesus said, be ye perfect as I am perfect. There's only one way that's going to happen. If you accept what he did for you and base it on his performance and not on your performance, what he did and not what you did. Amen? So you're perfect, but not because you earned it. You're perfect because he earned it for you. Amen? Glory to God. That's a little rabbit trail. I don't know why I went down that rabbit trail, but maybe somebody here is struggling with the fact that they're, they seem to be imperfect. <laughs> you seem to have a few flaws in your life. Well, just rest easy because in the eyes of God, you are righteous, you are holy, you are perfect if you are born again. If you know Jesus as Lord, you are perfect, and he sees you that way. He doesn't see you through the lens of your flaws. He sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ, the living sacrifice of God. Amen? And thank God he sees us that way. Amen. Hallelujah. Because, you know, sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I don't really like what I see. And I'm not talking about my appearance. I'm talking about the person that I am. I'm so painfully aware of my flaws. Sometimes I don't like myself. But you know what? God loves me. I am the apple of his eye. I am his favorite. So are every one of you. Amen. If Jesus is your Lord, all of you are his favorite. He can say you're my favorite to every one of us and not be lying. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Anyway, the result of the purification of these Levi's and people who get born again, who get saved, is verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. As in the days of old, as in former years. Did you hear that? When men get purified, when men get born again, he is saying, then the offerings of the people of God will once again be pleasant as in the days of old. In other words, there would come a time when giving would once again be from the heart and not out of a sense of obligation. Okay, so pay close attention. That means there must have been a time in the past when the offerings of men were pleasant to the Lord. Does everybody see that? And I believe that Malachi was referring to a time before the law when men gave out of their righteousness and not out of a sense of obligation and not because some law said that they had to. And there was such a time. And indeed, if you search the Scripture, you will find the prime example to be the father of our faith, Abraham, God's man. Amen? And you find out that Abraham, who lived about 500 years before the law, actually gave a tithe 500 years before the law. Amen? Keep that thought in your brain because I'm going to go back there. Amen. When you read the story of the slaughter of the kings in Genesis 14, all this comes into sharp focus. So stay with me. It's quite a bit of scripture here, but you're going to love it. 
I love reading through the scriptures. It's like a storybook, only they're not just stories. They really happened. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We find out in, these, uh, in this chapter here, verse, uh, chapter 14, verses 8 through 20, we find out that Abram, before he was called Abraham, gave a tithe to a guy by the name of Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. How many in here have never heard of Melchizedek? How many know exactly who he is? Really? All right, let's read from Genesis chapter 14, verse 8 through 20 in the New King James Version. And stay with me because some of these kings and these words are hard to pronounce. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bala, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Alasar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. If you read the whole story, you find out that the five cities of the plain, or the valley of Sidim near the Dead Sea, they were under tribute to these other four kings. And they decided and they got together that they were going to cast off the bondage that was this tribute that they had to pay to these other kings. And so a battle was waged there in the valley of the Dead Sea, four kings against five. But the battle did not go the way of Sodom and Gomorrah and their confederates. In fact, it went very, very badly for them. Some of them died in the battle, and some of them died in the tar pits as they fled toward the mountains. Bad enough that you got to die, but you got to fall into a tar pit? That's insult to injury. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and brother of Anar, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Not our Dan, but one of the, the area that was attributed or given to the tribe of Dan. Now listen, as a former military officer, I love this story. Abram is not normally known to most of us as a military commander, but evidently he had a militia of his own that he trained from the time they were born till the time they were young men, they were trained in the art of war. Even Abraham, he had a militia, I think, to protect his great and vast resources. Amen. Hallelujah. And he trained them for such an emergency as this, amen, when these kings came against his kinfolk. Now, you all know that Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities of the plain eventually got destroyed by God as an example, right? So they weren't exactly holy and they weren't exactly righteous. But because Abram had kin... In Sodom, he went into action to try and rescue his kin. Amen. I think that's honorable. 
So he armed and mobilized this small force of 318 of his own men, along with the forces of his allies, Mamre, Eshkol, and Anar. And he led them in hot pursuit of the enemy, a combined army of five powerful kings. How would you like to take on five kingdoms with 318 men? He had to be supremely confident that the Lord was with him. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Verse 15. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Amen. Now, one of the things we find out here is that evidently from verse 13, Abram had gotten pretty good intel as to the movement of these forces. They were moving through the mountains of Judah, heading north, and he just happened to know exactly where they would be, and he chose to attack at night, something that kings and armies of this day and age generally did not do. But he attacked them by night, and I think it so threw them out of kilter, so knocked them off balance, it enabled all the other kings that were on the run to reverse their retreat and come and destroy these kings. What was a certain defeat was turned into a victory because of Abram and 318 men. I think that's awesome. What's this got to do with giving, Brother Scott? We're getting there. Just hang with me. Hallelujah. Okay, let's keep reading. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. So he brought all the spoil of those five kingdoms back with him. Not only all their spoil, but he got his brother Lot and his goods and all his family and rescued them as well. Amen. So all in all, it was a pretty good day for Abram and his 318 men. Amen. Hallelujah. They amassed a great fortune by spoiling the armies of these five kings. Back in those days, they called it booty. We can't use that word today because it's been captured by the subculture, okay? <laughs> Abraham received the booty of the Lord from the five kings, amen. All right. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, I laughed myself out of place here. All right, so let's continue. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Keroleomer and the kings who were with him. Ooh, that's a good one. Amen. I practiced it like 10 times last night and still messed it up. <laughs> Evidently, after the battle was over, the king of Sodom came to honor Abraham and the role he played in turning their defeat into absolute victory. Amen. I like that. Glory to God. And then we read on. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Amen. It might have taken us a while to get there, but we got to the tithe. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I want you to know that there are five things that we can learn from these last few passages concerning the tithe. Okay. 
Number one, Genesis 14.20 is the first mention of the word tithe in the Bible. Number two, the tithe literally means a tenth. Number three, Abraham tithed of all, which suggests strongly that he gave off of the gross and not off the net. Number four, he gave his tithe to the king of Salem, who was a type of Jesus, our high priest. And number five, last but not least, he gave his tithe 500 years before the law. Amen? Hallelujah. So the bottom line is this. It is accurate to say that we are not commanded to tithe because we are not under the law. But surely we should consider the example that was set by Abram, the father of our faith, who gave his tithe to the high priest of God Almighty 500 years before the law. So it might not be a law, but it's a pretty good example to follow. Amen? He gave a tithe of the greatest increase in his life up to that point. And he was already a very rich man. Not because he had to. Not because the law demanded it. But because he was grateful and he wanted to honor the Lord. Do you hear that? He offered his offering in righteousness. As such, I believe Abraham is a type of the New Testament believer who would come one day and offer gifts and offerings in righteousness, in a state of righteousness. Amen. Everybody see that? All right, let's continue reading, and we'll see that there is some New Testament validation for some of these concepts, and we get that from Hebrews chapter 7, among other places. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, and then verse 8 in the New King James Version. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Let me stop right there. That's a pretty good clue that Melchizedek was a forerunner and a type of the coming Jesus Christ, our high priest. Amen? Isn't that right? Isn't that cool? Amen. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Amen. Now, there is some speculation, quite a bit of speculation, as to who this mystery man was. Who was this Melchizedek that had no mother or father and evidently lived forever? Some people believe that that he was the pre-incarnate Christ. Others believe that he was a special class of angel that had a flesh and bone body. But I'm not here to speculate this morning. The thing I want you to see is that Melchizedek was very certainly, according to the writer of the Hebrews, a forerunner of and a type of Jesus Christ, our high priest. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, in fact, it was prophesied in Psalm 110, verse 4, that Jesus would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Isn't that cool? All right, so then we go down to verse 8, and here's some nuggets here, and I'm going to have to break it down for you, but just hear me out. Verse 8 says, Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed, 
that he lives. So I'm going to break it down. Here, that is, on the earth, mortal men receive tithes that come from natural resources. Isn't that right? But he who lives forever, that is Jesus, the fulfillment of the type, receives them in the spirit. Even though the money changes hands in the natural, it is given to Jesus, our high priest, in the spirit. And then he, as our high priest, offers it up to God. Amen. So like we said last week, even natural resources, when given to the Lord, take on a spiritual quality. It's kind of mysterious. I don't confess to understand it all, but we give natural tithes to the church or to a missionary or to uh, an evangelist, and somehow or another, that natural tithe is given to Jesus in the Spirit, and he offers it up to the Lord, the Lord our God. Amen? Does everybody see that? So the tithe really is a holy thing. Tithes and offerings become a spiritual thing. And God takes it seriously. When you honor him with the first fruits of all your increase, you show him that you trust him to meet all your needs. You show him that you're grateful for what you already have. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. All right. Now, I know I've thrown a lot at you this morning. Melchizedek and. Four Kings, verses 5, and some other concepts. But I want to make one thing clear that I mentioned last week. If you never give a dime to this church, please know that you're always welcome here. We don't want you here just so we can see what we can get out of you. We want to impart spiritual things into your life. Why? Because we love you unconditionally. Amen? Glory to God. Amen. Also, if your faith isn't quite there to give 10% of your gross income, then start where you're at. Start somewhere and believe God that over time you will get there. Amen. And don't get under condemnation and don't listen to anybody who tells you, you know, if you don't give your 10%, you're putting yourself under a curse. I don't believe that. Again, I say whom... God has blessed, no man can curse, amen. Jesus paid the price. He fulfilled the letter of the law. He became the perfect sacrifice. He did everything that had to be done to fulfill the demands of the law, including give his own life so that we could be free from the demands of the law and have his blessings and no curses, amen. Glory to God. So let me wrap up this series by leaving you with a very wonderful scripture that I mentioned last week. But this week, I want to read it to you in the Amplified Classic Version. It is Luke 6.38. And here's how it goes in the Amplified Classic Version. Give, and gifts will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And running over, will they pour into the pouch formed by the bosom of your robe and used as a bag? What a mental picture. Amen. For with the measure you deal out, with the measure you use when you confer benefits on others, it will be measured back to you. Let let me give you my paraphrase of that verse. 
This is how I read this verse. If you learn to give generously so that others might be blessed, God will use other people to give generously back to you. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's message, The Prosperity of God. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.